So let's take our Bibles this morning and turn to the book of Daniel, of course. And we're continuing now, and we're really in the last section of Daniel. Daniel chapter 10 through 12 is a prophetic unit. So we're beginning now the last prophetic unit of the book of Daniel. And so we're going to be really in the first four verses this morning of Daniel chapter 10. I said we were going to move more quickly when we get to Daniel 10. So rather than just deal with one verse, we're going to deal with four whole verses today. Let's read verse 2 as we pray. In those days, I, Daniel, was mourning three full weeks. Father, thank you for this day now, Lord. As we live in these historic times and daily headlines grab our attention, help us to realize that you are God and you are at work. And there are great spiritual battles being waged in the invisible spiritual realm. So, Lord, help us to embrace these days we're living in. Help us to realize that we live in the midst of unique challenges and amazing opportunities. We're living in world history that has never happened before. And Lord, there are opportunities to serve you in the midst of all these inconveniences that we have to experience. And we do pray even for the Marnox that you would bring them through this fire and others in their building who experienced worse damage than they did. Lord, how can we help? Give us your grace to give them a hand. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So the message that I have for you today, I've entitled Praying Behind the Headlines in World History. So what do you think about when you see the headlines on a daily basis? All of us are just like bombarded with news and headlines. What is our response to all of these headlines that we are bombarded with? Today, the message is simply, we need to be praying because God is at work. There's a spiritual battle behind the headlines. And in Daniel chapter 10, we get a rare glimpse at this unseen struggle going on behind the headlines in world history. We see this war between God and Satan, between the holy angels of God, such as Michael and unnamed angels and Satan's forces here in Daniel chapter 10 called the princes of Persia and Greece. These are principalities and powers and spiritual forces of wickedness in high places. And they are battling. There is a spiritual battle going on in the political geo Inter- the, the geopolitical and international affairs of the world in Daniel chapter 10. And that battle has not abated to this day. So here we see, a, this is a rare glimpse. We get a rare look, an inside look into what's going on behind the headlines. You know, we see the headlines, but there's activity going on behind there, even in the spiritual realm. So in Daniel chapter 10, we learn at least a few things just to kind of introduce this chapter and number one here and if you have the outline i put the words in orange those 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 are the blanks is that we are not alone in this world there are spiritual forces battling 
And we see Michael in this chapter. We see other angels in this chapter. We see glorious beings in this chapter. We are not alone. And then we see that we are helped by God's ministering angels, just as the angel of the Lord camps round about them that fear him, just as as, as angels came to minister to Jesus even after his temptation, as Jesus said he could have called 10,000 angels to have delivered him, we, we are helped. We don't exactly know how, but when we get to heaven, we will find out how we were helped by God's ministering angels, God's ministering spirits, flaming spirits of fire. But we're also opposed by Satan's fallen demons. So we see Daniel helped and we see him opposed by Satan's fallen angels in this chapter of scripture and we'll be studying more about this as we look at it and so we see that God's holy angels in this chapter are in continuous warfare and seek to influence kings nations and international affairs so that should interest us in what is going on in the world we shouldn't be apathetic or unconcerned about what's going on in the political world, in international affairs, or whether international or national affairs politically. There's a spiritual battle being fought in all these things. And especially in this, toward the end of Daniel chapter 10, in verse number 20, he said, then said he, if you look in Daniel chapter 10, verse 20, the scripture here says, then he said, knowest thou wherefore I come unto thee? And now will I return to fight with the prince of Persia. So this is the angel talking to Daniel. And he says, I'm going to go fight, which is where I was, to fight with the prince of Persia. That was the, that was the angelic being who was there, the, the demon, the fallen angel who was there to influence the king of Persia. The holy angel said, I'm going to go fight against this fallen angel. And when I have gone forth, lo, the prince of Greece shall come. So that, in other words, that would be the next kingdom after Medo-Persia. So in other words, this was a long conflict from one kingdom to the next. And then the kingdom of, of Greece was for hundreds of years. So this battle just goes on and on to this day. If you don't think there are angelic beings, holy and fallen, in our Capitol building in Washington, D.C., in our mayor's office, in up in Albany, in state houses across the land, in local governments, in our federal government, and in, in, in government buildings all across the world. That's what there is a spiritual battle being waged continually. That's what we find in this chapter. So we see that human beings are not the only intelligent moral creatures in the universe. You know, it seems like NASA is on this constant quest to find life out beyond Earth. Well, I have to tell you, there is life outside of the earth. It's, it's in heaven. God is alive and he has many angels who do his service and his work. And, you know, sometimes you see even news reports of UFOs and things. And what do we make of all this? I don't know what to make of all of it, but I just kind of thought maybe I'm being a little bit tongue in cheek here, but maybe all those UFO sightings are just God's angels at work. We don't know, you know, but I do. I'm convinced personally there's not, you know, another earth like our earth out there in the universe. But I know that there is life outside of earth because there are angels at work. We're not alone. And there are intelligent moral creatures in the universe other than us at work. 
So that's just kind of an introduction to this to this chapter. We're going to get more into it in the days ahead. But now let me just say this as well as as I mentioned, this is the last prophetic unit in the book of Daniel. So now we're getting we're getting toward the end of the book of Daniel. Daniel 10, 11 and 12 is one unit and and here's how we break it down, okay? So just keep this outline in mind and I might remind you of it in the weeks ahead as well, but Chapter 10 is really a vision that Daniel has of this glorious heavenly being. And we're going to look more at this next week. But is Daniel's fasting of time and prayer a vision and then angelic interactions? It's an introduction to then a, an incredible prophecy of the future that he receives. And there's two elements to this prophecy. It's an angelic revelation of the near future that's in Daniel 11, verses 2 through 35. And then an angelic revelation into the far future, even of the Antichrist and his, and his kingdom during the tribulation time. And that's in chapter, Daniel chapter 11, verse 36. And there's a break in the, in the prophecy there that goes from the near future to the far future. In other words, a gap. Uh, between verse 35 and 36, and we mentioned the gap earlier in Daniel 9, but we're in that gap now. So in Daniel 11, verses 2 through 35 has already been fulfilled. Precise prophetic details are given that have been fulfilled in the past. Verse 36 and, and onward through chapter 12, verse 4, 5 is yet to be fulfilled. So that's how that works out. And then there's a final message in Daniel chapter 12 and verses 5 through 13, bringing us to the end of this incredible, incredible book of God's word, the book of Daniel. Okay, now let's look specifically at this passage today about praying behind the headlines that we see on a daily basis. And how does Daniel react to what is happening in his world at the time he's living and for the future that is coming and how he reacts. There's a big word in verse two, and here's the word. And you got to see this word. He says, in those days, I, Daniel, was mourning three full weeks. Now, that's really interesting, too, because remember, we talked about the 70 weeks of Daniel that were 70 Units of seven years, 490 years to, to, to make crystal clear what Daniel's talking about here. He actually writes three full weeks. He uses the Hebrew word yom or day. The Hebrew word of day is used. So in other words, so we're not confused. This is not three units of seven. This is not 21 years. This is 21 days, three weeks of days. Literally, you could read that, but he was in mourning for three full weeks of days, 21 days, mourning. Now that word is a big word. The first time it's used, it's used of Jacob when he heard that Joseph was dead and he mourned for his son as if he were dead. And that's how this word is often used, a lament, to mourn for the dead. But it's, it speaks of desperate conditions of mourning, of lamenting, weeping. And so for 21 days, Daniel uh, goes into a fast of some kind 
mourning, lamenting for the desperate situation that his country is in. Jesus taught us to mourn. Blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. So Daniel is in mourning. Let me give you another synonym for what I believe Daniel's feeling here. He's feeling a holy sense of desperation. Why? Because of the headlines of his day. And we're going to talk about just in a moment what's, what was happening in Daniel's day. And what, and the headlines of the future of Medo-Persian, Greece, and, and all these headlines of Alexander the Great, and even Cleopatra, and all this stuff. You know, all the headlines, they're in our history books. But what's going on behind the headlines is we see this beloved senior citizen, and he is a senior citizen at this time in his life. He's, some say he's up to 85 years old. And we see him praying with a grief, with a lament, with a holy sense of desperation. So let me ask you again, how do you react and respond to the headlines of our day? Do you, is it anger? Do you get angry? Well, sometimes we might get a holy indignation about what's going on. Or is it despair and depression and discouragement? It shouldn't be because God is at work. Is it just that, or is it sense of apathy? I don't care. Well, we should care because you know why? God cares. That's the point of this as well, is that God's holy angels are fighting to bring about the perfect will of God. Satan is always working to thwart the will of God. So it can't be apathy. Is it hopeless? No, we shouldn't be hopeless because God's will will be done. We're living in a day of headlines, man. And literally, our church, we're behind the headlines. We don't want to get in the headlines. <laughs> I figure if we ever make the headlines, it's going to be some bad news, you know. But even in our building at 633 3rd Avenue, when I walk in, I, I wish I had a picture. I could have taken a picture, but I, I, I don't have a picture of, like, the news trucks that are there every day. And we see that the news anchorettes or news anchors, they're out there. They're talking about the scandal of our governor. And that's in the headlines, you know. But there's something going on out behind the headlines. And we need to be praying. That should lead us to pray for our governor, for our state, and for a conviction of sin and salvation and repentance and, and righteousness to rule and the need. So, you know, the headlines. What's going on behind the headlines? Well, we see here Daniel's praying behind his headlines, and we need to be praying, mourning. <laughs> if these things don't cause us to mourn, what will? So I want us to see three things from this passage of Scripture about praying behind the headlines of world history. The first thing we see is, is this. I want us to see that prayer is what meets the great challenges of life. Prayer meets life's great challenges. So let's look at this passage. Look what it says in verse 1. <laughs> he says, In the third year of Cyrus, king of Persia, a thing was revealed to Daniel, whose name was Belteshazzar. Wow. That, that says a lot right there. It's talking about the great challenge of Daniel's whole life leading up to the very moment. You know, he even uses this word, Belteshazzar. Remember that word? Remember that name? 
When was that name given to Daniel? It was given to him when he was first brought to Babylon by the Nebuchadnezzar's rule. And it was in order to make him like a young Babylonian to it, to embrace Babylonian culture. But Daniel really rejected that, that name his whole life. So here he is now, an 85-year-old man, and he refers, he says, in the third year of Cyrus, a thing was revealed unto Daniel, whose name was called Belteshazzar. They still called him that, but Daniel, he refers to him as I, Daniel, in verse 2. I, Daniel. When Daniel refers to himself, he's Daniel. When the world refers to him, he's Belteshazzar. You know, the world wants to put their identity on us. We have to realize we're in Christ. Daniel never became worldly. He always remained godly. And even at the end of his life here, we see him in such prayer. So life is a challenge. So that word, Belteshazzar, just, you know, it, it reminds me of the challenge Daniel faced his whole life, that, that there was a pressure on him to conform to the world. And there is a powerful pressure upon us to conform to this world. And I'm going to give you a specific example at the end of this message that should cause us to pray about what's going on. So that name Belteshazzar reminds us of his life of challenge to remain separated from the world and to maintain his godly, godly personality and convictions that he, his name was Daniel, which means my God is judge. That's what Daniel's name means. Uh, my God is going to judge me, not the gods of this world. But Daniel reminds us in this passage that it's the third year of Cyrus. That's also a challenge. That Israel has returned at this time in, by the third year of Cyrus. So we're out of the Babylonian kingdom. Now we're into the Persian kingdom. And in the first year, Cyrus made a decree that Israel could go back. So now we're in the third year of Cyrus. So Israel has returned. And some of the rebuilding of the temple has begun. That's the headline of the day. Israel is returned to the land. The temple is being rebuilt. That's the headline of world history in Daniel's day. What's Daniel going to do? He's going to fast and mourn and pray for 21 days. About 50,000 Jewish pilgrims had left Babylon to return to Israel. And he was burdened for their success. Now, Daniel, as I said, was 85 years old. Many believe that he would have returned, but he was too old to return. Maybe the journey would have broken him down. He was too old to maybe help in the building process. So what do you do when you feel like, I, 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 I can't do anything anymore, but you can pray? I'm talking to some senior citizens today. You may feel like, there's nothing I can do anymore. I don't even know why I'm here. I'm saying to you today, you can pray. And that's a lot. And that's what Daniel was doing here. And it was huge. As Daniel, with holy desperation, seeks God. So there was a great challenge as Israel was returning. And we read about that as well in the books of Ezra. And then later on in Nehemiah. And in the book of Zechariah, 
They were, they met many challenges. They were, they were thwarted. They were stopped in their building and so forth. A lot of things happened. We don't have to get into all that, but the rebuilding of the temple was not an easy process. It was not a smooth, it was not a smooth venture. There were attacks. There were enemies that were always trying to thwart Ezra, Nehemiah. And then if you look even in the book of Ezra, the, uh, uh, Esther, Esther, remember the story of Esther, how there was that evil enemy, Haman who sought to destroy the entire Israelite population. What is that? That means there, there was things going on. There were spiritual forces behind Haman that was trying to get him to thwart and destroy the people of God. And yet God's holy angels were there also fighting on behalf of the Israelite people. No doubt Michael was there in the book of Esther behind the scenes. And Daniel was praying. So prayer meets life's great challenges. And I want you to notice another thing about this scripture where it says, the thing was true. In other words, too, Daniel's saying, I, Daniel, the one that whose name was changed to Belteshazzar in the beginning, I'm the one who's writing this. So Daniel wrote the book of Daniel. And then he says, the thing was true. But the time appointed was long, and he understood the thing and had understanding of the vision. Now, that's also a very interesting phrase where he says the time appointed was long. Now, that word appointed, you could look up the Hebrew on that. Literally, the word appointed often speaks of warfare and conflict. And the word long has to speak of great. It means great. The time of, So he's saying here the warfare and the conflict that was going to be happening was going to be great. And it was going to be over a long period of time. That's literally what he's saying there. He's saying that this thing is true. Israel has gone back into the land. But we read about that in Daniel chapter 9. It's going to be a long conflict. He's talked about troublesome times were going to come when the when the injunction, when the when the decree went out to rebuild, remember the decree would go out to rebuild the streets and the walls in the days of Nehemiah. That was about another hundred years past Daniel. So the time is long. The warfare is going to be long. The conflict is going to go on for a long, long time. Now, here's the thing. Here's the application for us. How do we deal with what's going on today, realizing that things are going to get worse and worse and worse in the days ahead. And they are. Perilous times are going to come. Do we just say, well, I'm at the end of my day. You know, we're, we're almost done with, you know, I'm 62 years old myself. And, and I don't have to fight all the battles that are, are coming in the next 50 years and 60 years. But what about my children? What about my grandchildren? What about my great-grandchildren? What about your children, grandchildren, great-grandchildren? Or, or you say, well, even if you don't have kids, what about the next generations to come that are going to be fighting this long conflict? What's our relationship to that right now? We can pray, and our prayers can have effect over the next hundreds of years. Think of that. Daniel understood that the conflict was long. That there was going to be an intense battle for the nation of Israel in the days ahead. And we read about that as well. Like I mentioned in the book of Ezra, it was being fought at, at Daniel's day, but it was going to continue in the days of Nehemiah. And it was going to continue in the days of Esther. There was going to be a long battle where Satan's fallen angels and 
he was going to work to try to bring destruction. And the battle is still being fought today. And we can't just have an attitude like, well, I'm almost out of here. I'm, uh, let, let the next generation take care of it. You know, I don't care about it. It's not my problem anymore. That's the ad- that, that's what I'm really trying to say. We can't think this isn't my problem anymore. What's going to happen after I'm gone? You know what? It is our problem. We should pray. And when you understand what's coming, and we understand what's coming as the people of God, right? Don't we understand? Jesus Christ is coming back. And when he comes back, remember what he said? Will he find much faith on the earth? No. That means it's going to be hard for our children. It's going to be even harder for our great-grandchildren if if Jesus tarries his coming. So when you understand the word of God, it should lead us to pray. So Daniel fights in prayer. and. He is praying for his generation and the generations that would come in the next hundreds of years after him. Think of that. We should be praying as well. We should be fighting in prayer. God, help us, Lord. Help us to pray. Pray for our children, our grandchildren, our great-grandchildren, and the generations to come. Okay. The second thing I want us to see, not only does prayer meet life's great challenges, but Prayer makes us greatly useful. Prayer makes us greatly useful. Daniel was a senior citizen, but he was incredibly active. Maybe he couldn't go out the way he used to, but he could pray. And, you know, when you get older and seasoned in life, you may not have the physical strength you once had, but you have greater spiritual insight and power with God. So use those years of living for Jesus in your older age to pray. And we see that desperation still beats in his heart. And I say desperation because it says, I, Daniel, was mourning three full weeks. A holy desperation. A great burden to pray. He says, I ate no pleasant bread. Neither came flesh or wine in my mouth. Neither did I anoint myself at all till three whole weeks were fulfilled. And if you look in verse 12 also, in verse, I'm sorry, verse 11 and 12, and he said to me, this is an angel that comes to Daniel. He says, oh, Daniel, a man greatly beloved. You know, when you know that you're greatly beloved and we are in Jesus Christ who died for us on the cross, we are his beloved ones. We are chosen of him. We are regenerated by his spirit. We are loved with an everlasting love. And he says to Daniel, a man greatly beloved, understand the words that I speak unto thee and stand upright for unto thee am I now sent. And when he had spoken this word unto me, I stood trembling. Verse 12, he says, fear not, Daniel, for from the first day that you did set your heart to understand and to chasten yourself before thy God, thy words were heard and I am come for thy words. Now notice that word there, chasten. He says, for from the first day that thou didst set thine heart to understand and to chasten thyself. You know, when we really want to understand, we will seek God and chasten ourselves. Not the word chasten speaks of afflicting himself with this fast. That word chasten connects to the fast without a doubt. Now, when you're older, you have to be careful. You don't want to do anything that will hurt yourself physically. And I'm not quite sure that this 21-day fast was just a complete uh, denial of any food or drink. But it seems that 
he put aside some of the delicacies that were normally available to him in the Persian court. He says he ate no pleasant bread, none of the uh, the, the, the food of the, the Persian court or f- neither flesh or wine came into his mouth. And he, he, he refrained from maybe caring for his body with anoint in, in Jewish culture. They would anoint themselves with oils, with essential type oils after they bathe themselves. And no doubt that gave them good health. But he chastened himself. And he put aside some of the, the, the luxuries of his normal life in order to deny himself these, to seek God. Now, we don't have to do this every day of our lives, but, you know, the application here is, are we willing to deny ourselves some of the normal, delicious things of this life to seek God? Are we willing to put aside, let's say, getting a haircut, getting your nails done, going to the hairdresser, and I'm not saying you do that all the time, ladies. But maybe you say, this month, I'm going to forsake that, and I'm going to seek God instead. So where we deny ourselves something, some area to seek God, that's what Daniel's doing here. Because Daniel's heart still burns to know God. Daniel's heart burns to be in God's presence. His, he has a desperation beating in his heart for God. So Daniel could have retired put his feet up on the easy chair and say, hey, I'm taking it easy, man. This next generation, they're just going to have to fight these battles. I've been fighting all these years, so I've done the best I could, and I'm done. Over. No, that's not Daniel. He doesn't put his feet up on an easy chair, but he embraces the present challenge that's before him and the plight of his people and his nation presently and what's going to come. And he seeks God with a desperate heart. I love that, man. He lays aside distractions, as I've said already. And maybe sometimes we can lay aside some of our distractions and fast for 21 days. I'm not saying that you not eat anything or drink anything for 21 days. But you could study this out from your, for yourself. But my understanding is more the application for us is to deny yourself some of the, the, deli- the, the delicious things of this life and just go simple. In other words, streamline everything so you have more time to seek God and deny yourself some other areas so that you have more time, maybe more money to give to the Lord, more time to seek the Lord. And fasting should be done because the spiritual needs outweigh the physical needs. Sometimes maybe we should fast for a few days and just put aside all food. But here for 21 days, Daniel denied himself. The, del- the, the, the delicious and delectable foods of the Persian court. Why? Now, why is all this? Because Daniel still sees a cause. There's a cause. There's a reason. He has a purpose for life. So, you know, again, as we get into our older years, sometimes we might think, why am I here? You know, I can't, I don't have any real purpose anymore. I, I, I'm not useful any longer. Listen, as long as we have life, as long as we have breath, We can be useful because prayer makes us greatly useful to God. Prayer meets the great challenges of life. And prayer makes us greatly useful to God. I want to encourage especially our precious senior citizens and those of us who are 
AARP age, <laughs> retirement age, is, is that prayer will always make us useful to God. Amen? The third thing is this. Is that prayer moves the great God into action. So prayer meets the great challenges of life. Prayer makes us greatly useful. And prayer moves the great God into action. And I'm just going to quickly hit on this and then go to my application. Because we're going to look more at this next week and the weeks ahead. But what's amazing here, and I read the verse already in verse number uh, 12, where he says, very important verse, he says, Fear not, Daniel, for from the first day that you did set your heart to understand and chasten yourself before God, your words were heard. So prayer moved the great God to action. The first day Daniel began to pray, did God hear him? Yes. But did Daniel know it? Did Daniel feel like God was here, had heard his prayers and was answering his prayers? No. How about the second day? Did Daniel feel like God was coming to answer his prayer? No. But did God hear him? Yes. And the third day and the fourth day and the fifth? Yes. God heard him praying and fasting and mourning and afflicting himself each of those days. From the first day that he prayed, God heard him. But Daniel didn't see it. Until the 21st day now. And here's another thing that's interesting about this passage. It's the first month. It says in the first month, which in the Jewish calendar was their first month was the month of Nisan. And on the 14th day of that month was the Passover. And then after the Passover was the Feast of Unleavened Bread from the 14th to the 21st day. So Daniel, he says in the in verse 4, it says on the, four and 20, uh, the, the 24th day of the first month. The 24th day of the first month. So what I'm saying is this, that the Jewish Passover was from the 14th day until the 21st day. The, the Passover and Feast of Unleavened Bread. So Daniel began his fast before the Passover. He continued fasting through the Passover. And then three days after the Passover, his fast ended and this glorious being appeared. And he sees this great vision. Now, I'm not going to get into this this week. I'm going to tease you with who did Daniel see in verses 5 through 9? You study it out. Very interesting. And there are a number of different views on this that good people hold to. But I'll share my view with you next week. And you'll know that I'm right. I'm just kidding. <laughs> but Daniel sees a great vision. And we're going to explore the glorious being that he sees in verses 5 through 9. At, on, on the 24th day. So my point is, is that God responded immediately to Daniel's prayer, but Daniel didn't know it and didn't, didn't see the response until the 21st day, which was the 24th day of the month. Now for them, that was the Passover. What did the Passover rep represent or what did it remember? It remembered the greatest example of the power of God in the Old Testament of God delivering the people of God out of Egypt, right? That's what the Passover remembered. The, the blood of the, the lamb was put on the doorposts and the death angel passed over. The people of Israel, the firstborn of Egypt were killed and Moses led the people out of Egypt and through the Red Sea. God opened up the Red Sea. That's what the Passover remembered. The, the mighty power of God 
demonstrated in, in truth, in reality on earth. God breaking in and doing an incredible miracle. That's what the Passover represented. So Daniel is now praying for his nation, who's been in another kind of captivity, not in Egypt, but in Babylon. And they need God to do another work, another miracle of bringing them out of that captivity and the, and the rebuilding of the temple. And so Daniel is burdened and praying. How about for us? You know, this is for us the same type of kind, uh, same time of year. It's about this time of year that Daniel was praying. It was the Passover time for Daniel. For us, we don't remember the Passover. We remember the resurrection. The resurrection is the great power of God, isn't it? And so as we pray, we can know for sure that God will break in and hear our prayers because we pray in the name of Jesus. We pray in the name of him who shed his blood on the cross for our sins. We pray in the name of him who is risen again from the dead and is alive today to hear our prayers and say to you, do not be discouraged from prayer. Daniel sees this great vision. And then Daniel is going to be touched three times in verses 10 through 21. And so we see this, that prayer meets the great challenges of life. Prayer makes us greatly useful. And prayer moves the hand of God, the great, mighty hand of God into action. So let me ask you, beloved, are you discouraged from prayer? Do you think your prayers are senseless or worthless or powerless? They're not. Do not. Be defeated from praying. Pray. We need to pray. Because there are headlines today that show we need to pray. <clears throat> now I want to just share one headline that has I've seen and that has challenged me and makes me to see there's a great spiritual battle being fought for our nation, and there is. There's a great spiritual battle being waged in our state. Think of this. All these accusations being leveled at our, at our governor. This just shows there's a spiritual battle being fought. He's in a spiritual battle as well. Whatever's happened, he's in a tremendous spiritual battle. He needs to be delivered. There needs to be a mighty work of God in our land, in our mayor's heart, in our elected officials of city council. In Albany, our legislators, in our president Biden, our new president Biden, and, and, and the Congress. There's a spiritual battle being fought in all these places. I just want to share with you as, as we close one of the most troubling headlines I have seen, which has tremendous ramifications and shows this spiritual battle being fought between God's holy angels and the devil's fallen angels. And it's related to this Equality Act. Have you seen the headlines of the Equality Act? Now, the Equality Act, it, it sure sounds like something good. Equality, that's something we, we all want. But it actually would strip away equality from Christians who value family and marriage and that God has created us as male and female. And this Equality Act would actually work to discriminate against those of us who believe in God, who believe that God has created us in his image as either a male or a female. So this is really a discrimination act against those who do not buy into the government 
mandated beliefs about what is now being taught about gender and sexual orientation. So I want to focus on this for just a, a minute or so. Now, the Heritage Foundation stated this about the Equality Act, and I put it right up here for you to see for, with your own eyes. I'm going to read it. It says, the Heritage Foundation stated that the proposed Equality Act, and by the way, this was approved in the House of Representatives, and now the Senate is going to debate it. You say, well, Pastor, why are you talking? This is politics. The reason I'm talking about this is because this is the Bible. This is biblical uh, truth that our, our politicians are messing with. They're getting uh, biblical. <laughs> They're taking over and want to change our whole thinking and ideology. This is biblical. So anyway, the proposed Equality Act would make mainstream beliefs about marriage, biological facts, about sex differences, and many sincerely held beliefs punishable under law. The Equality Act makes discrimination the law of the land by forcing Americans to conform to government-mandated beliefs under the threat of life-ruining financial and criminal penalties. This could happen if this Equality Act is passed by the Senate. Like I mentioned, it's been passed in the House, and now it's going to the Senate. They're going to debate it in the Senate and vote. If President Biden signs it, it could lead to life-ruining financial and criminal penalties for many. Now, it's presented as a bill with common sense and decent protections against discrimination, but it's not. It's anything but that. The Equality Act politicizes medicine and education and demolishes existing civil rights and constitutional freedoms. That comes from the Heritage Foundation and their article. I thought I had something else here. I wanted to. No, I don't. I don't have this. OK, so I wanted to I wanted to say this as well. Do you know there's a difference in our world today? And we should, we, it's hard to stay up with this. <laughs> and you have to kind of really pay attention to kind of stay with this. But this is the headlines, this Equality Act. Do you know there's a difference between gender identity and sexual orientation? And that's really what this Equality Act is driving at. Equality for those who have claim their own gender identity and then who want to live out their own sexual orientation. Now, there's a difference. And here's the simplest way I could state the difference. And so we should understand this. This is the world we're living in right now. Gender identity is how you see yourself, whether as a man, a woman, both. And there's like 80 different gender identities. And so no longer the Quality Act is saying that God didn't make you a certain way. You choose what your gender identity is one out of 80 different ones. That's gender identity. Sexual orientation has to do with who you're interested in being intimate with. So you could identify yourself as a woman and then say, I'm interested in women or I'm interested in men. It's your sexual orientation. You could say you're interested in dogs for that matter. I, I would imagine that's what we're heading. Or you're interested in multiple people and in, in group uh, sexual activity. I mean, who knows where and how far this wickedness can go. But I do know this. All this talk is a satanic scheme. 
It's devious and it brings confusion and it brings irreconcilable division in our nation with our views of family, marriage, and who we are as image bearers of God made either male or female. So the House passed this Equality Act, that there should be no discrimination against any position someone takes on their gender identity or their sexual orientation. Again, gender identity is who you see yourself as. Sexual orientation is who you want to be with. Okay, that's basically the the difference. So the ramifications of this are enormous. So as this bill is designed to impose this controversial sexual ideological scheme on us, they're trying to tell us how to think. So when one Christian representative, when the House was debating this, this is what I want you to see, and it relates to what we're talking about in Daniel chapter 10, that there are principalities and powers in high places, in government, where government officials are, and the devil is trying to influence them, and God's holy angels are trying to influence them. The devil's trying to thwart God's plan. One Christian representative stood up in the House and argued that this legislation would put our nation in rebellion against God's standards. Gerald Nadler, congressman right here from our own great city of New York, he said this. He said, quote, and I'm quoting, God's will is no concern to this Congress. Now, that's not what has been said by presidents throughout the history of our land. Whether they were true Christian or not, we don't have to debate that, but they respected the Bible, George Washington, from Washington to Lincoln to even President Obama and and President Trump and President Biden. They all reference God. But Gerald Nadler said God's will is no concern to this Congress. I can assure you that demonic powers are behind that statement. And this is demonic ideology. It's spilling out into the public arena. For if God's will is not a concern, whose will are they following? (laughs) Satan's will. So we must pray that Satan does not win the day in our land. That's what I'm saying. Prayer is what we need to be doing behind these headlines. So here's the headline. Equality Act is going to be debated in the Senate. Pray for our senators because there's a spiritual battle. There is a spiritual battle being fought for our nation. And the ramifications throughout our culture are enormous. Now, Dr. Steve Pettit put out this statement this week, the president of a Christian institution, Bob Jones University, where I graduated from. He said, quote, that the Equality Act contains no exemptions for religious organizations or others exercising their religious beliefs. So basically the consequence of this act would be that Christian colleges would be forced to hire professors and accept students who are identifying however they want to identify. They're biologically born a a male, but they've identified as something else. They would be forced to hire them as teachers or faculty and staff, as well as to accept students, no matter regarding their sexual orientation, homosexual, bisexual, whatever. A Christian school cannot stand with that. So this bill explicitly denies religious freedom and religious liberty. 
This, this bill, the ramifications of it, they go to as well to doctors would have to perform sex change operations. If let's say we're a Christian doctor and a sex change surgery was against their, their con- religious convictions, they would be forced to do it because equality. You have to treat people of these gender identity and sexual orientation the same. Biological men will be able to participate in women's sports. I saw it just recently, I, this week, a man won a female beauty pageant. Now, what is a man doing in a female beauty pageant? It's because of this type of thinking that is becoming mainstream. And so, beloved, this is the battle of our of our children and of our grandchildren. We need to be praying. I, I, my heart is completely broken for the battles that my grandchildren are going to have to fight in this life. And parental authority to bring up your children in the Lord will be deeply undermined. Did you see this in Canada? Who was the headline? That a man was put into prison because he would not allow his child to have a sex change surgery. So they're trying to determine how we're going to raise our kids. In the name of equality. So the battle is powerful. The battle is strong. This is a spiritual battle being fought. There are demons in high places. And there are God's holy angels. Another headline. What, what was the headline? I saw a New York City teacher telling her students, don't call your parents mom and dad anymore. And they're going to come after Mother's Day and Father's Day for sure, because they because that's gender. You know, anything with mom and dad and this and that, they want to get rid of it. So, beloved, there is a spiritual battle being fought behind all these headlines. Is there not a cause for us to pray? So I want us to remember today. That prayer meets the greatest challenges of life. And we are in a great challenge in this life. And prayer is necessary because it makes us greatly useful to God. I'm calling on all of our people to pray from senior citizens to the youngest. And then for those of you who are young people, the children of our church, I hope you're hearing me today. You're going to face such incredible struggles and battles for your Christian faith. Determine that you're going to live for Jesus, that you're not going to be ashamed of the word of God. You're not going to be ashamed of who you are. You're going to be loving. You're going to be kind. You're going to be gracious, but you're going to have conviction to stand for truth and for the Lord. As I mentioned, uh, that's just another slide. Doctors have to, I already mentioned that. So as I close, are you discouraged from prayer? Don't be. Let us not be discouraged to seek God with all of our heart. Our prayers are not senseless, powerless, or worthless. Because we are beloved of the Lord in Jesus Christ, as Daniel was. And Let us have the faith to know that from the first day that we set our heart to seek God and to understand, our words will be heard. You know, here's the last thing I'll say. Here was Daniel, an aged man, had all these incredible experiences for God, but he was still seeking God with such a fresh zeal. It's amazing. And he experienced perhaps his greatest revelation of the Lord. At this time in his life, as he was seeking God. So let us never stop seeking God as long as we have life and breath. And may we experience a a, a fresher sense of his presence 
even now more than we ever have. Let's pray. Father God, in the name of Jesus, Lord, we pray that you would work mightily and that you would give us your grace and your power and your strength. Oh God, we pray for our nation today and the battles that are being fought for our nation. God, in the name of Jesus, we know, Lord God, your angels are fighting for you, just as Michael fights for Israel. There are some high-ranking angels right now in Washington, D.C., in Albany, in Gracie Mansion, and in, in, in state governments and city governments across the land and, and national governments across the world, Lord. Oh, God, there's a great spiritual battle being fought, and it's all for the souls of men. Lord, so we pray for our children's salvation and strength. We pray, oh, God, for your glory in our world, and we thank you for prayer. We thank you, Lord, that prayer does meet the great challenges of life, and it makes us greatly useful to you, and it moves your great and mighty hand. Oh, God, move on us today. Have mercy on us. And Lord, if there's anyone who's not saved today, help them today to call upon you. Maybe someone is even struggling with their their sexual orientation or their gender identity. Oh God, help them to settle who they are as, as being made in your image as a man or a woman. And just settle that and, and embrace how you have made them to be. And then most of all, embrace Jesus as their Savior. And if you need Jesus as your Savior today, just call upon him. In a simple prayer like this, you can pray if you're not saved and say, Dear Lord Jesus, I know that I am a guilty sinner. I confess my sins to you. And Lord Jesus, I believe you had to die on the cross and you died on the cross for my sins. And you shed your blood. But you didn't stay dead. You rose again. And I believe you're alive today, O Lord. So save me now. I confess you, Lord Jesus, with my mouth. I believe in my heart that you've been raised from the dead. And according to your word, I have salvation in Christ. So please work now, O Lord. Glorify your name. And we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.